Hey there, welcome back to another episode of CupyCast. Are you hoping to learn more about unions or progressive movements? Then you're in the right spot. I'm Brittany Nisbet, and I use she and her pronouns. I'm Elise Lelai, she, her pronouns, reminding you that we're the only podcast of our kind, combining union info, pop culture, and more. Kicking ass for the working class, one podcast at a time. Whether you're a member of CUPE, in a union, wish you were in a union, or just found us while browsing, you're definitely in the right place. And I'm Tiffany Balducci, she, her pronouns. These last few weeks have been a whirlwind with QP education workers bargaining, the conservative government passing Bill 28, the possibility of a general strike, and then the government turning around and repealing Bill 28. It has, in fact, left us all wondering what the heck is happening here in Ontario. And hopefully this month's episode will help clear things up. We will take you step by step through Bill 28 and events leading up to it, as well as what is happening at the time of recording this episode in regards to OSBCU QP education workers bargaining. You're listening to QPCast episode 19, Bill 28. WTF just happened. Does anyone else feel like they have whiplash from all the changes in the union world in just a few short weeks? Oh, I I know I definitely do. It's It's been so wild. Yeah, I agree. I think since it's been so much so quickly, it's almost like we need an order of events when we're talking about um, the subject of this podcast, which it's, you know, WTF just happened. I wanted to be like, what the beep just happened? <laughs> like, we, don't, we don't have sound effects here yet. So um so, yeah, and I also want to remind folks that we have an interview with Laura Walton, uh, president of OSBCU, in our episode Hot Labor Summer, where she speaks on all the organizing that's happened. But, um, yeah, maybe we need to go over, like, an order of events. Yeah, that's a brilliant idea. So, okay, good. Yeah, so this will be a bit long, but it's important to follow the timeline, which shout out to Brittany for doing a lot of this research on this timeline. Yeah, go Brittany. Honestly, like Matthew, I, I told you both, but I'll just let the audience know. Like and Matthew's probably listening to this while he's on the line, so he's going to chuckle because he listens to our podcast. Um, hi, so Matthew. He, hi. <laughs> so he was at work. Uh, he was working the night shift. And so it was literally just like me hanging out with the fireplace on. And I had like Gilmore Girls on in the background, like super low. And the Christmas tree was on and the cats were just hanging out. And I just spent like a couple of hours researching and going through it was actually such a nice night. I love it. <laughs> I like really geeked out about researching everything, but I, I, I hope love everything is accurate. And if we have something that's inaccurate, uh, I apologize, but I'm pretty sure like Elise and Tiffany, you can tell me if something's wrong or whatever. Yeah, we've, but thank we've you. definitely checked it. And yeah, I think it's good, but also people know how to get a hold of us if they <laughs> want to give corrections yeah. to, for sure. So <laughs> for yeah, sure. it all started back on June 3rd. Uh, when the OSBCU Bargaining Committee served notice to bargain with the Council of Trustees, which was done in line with the School Board Collective Bargaining Act. But the government started it off by being stubborn and unhelpful and tried to say that due to the election at the time, it was impossible to meet. But nonetheless, with some pressure uh, from the OSBCU, uh, the Council of Trustees ended up meeting on June 17th. And that was just like the first meeting. And like it's already started off not so great with the the government being stubborn. So like the games had begun at that point. 
Yeah, the OSBCU bargaining committee then met with the government eight times throughout the summer, but we're still very far apart. On August 26th, the OSBCU filed for conciliation in hopes that a conciliator would help them to negotiate a collective agreement. This is when they also began to prepare to take strike votes, which is a totally normal process of conciliation, even though the government tried to spin that it wasn't. Yes, you're right, at least totally normal. So in the next few weeks, OSBCU met with the conciliator three times before proceeding with their strike vote. The strike vote was done virtually through a third-party platform from September 23rd to October 2nd. Many of us made one-on-one phone calls to members to make sure they had their chance to vote. The results of the strike vote were revealed on October 3rd. And my gosh, were those results so exciting. Um, So for folks who maybe are just listening for the first time or just not really sure, OSBCU represents 55,000 CUPE Ontario education workers across the province. So just keep that number in your head because the vote's results were 45,433 members voted. 96.5% of those members voted yes, that they would be in favor of strike action if it came to it. That's incredible. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. A super majority even. Um, And then on October 7th, the OSBCU bargaining committee reached an impasse with the government, so they filed for a no board report. If the union and the employer don't reach agreement during conciliation, the conciliation officer will report the outcome to the Minister of Labor, Training, and Skills Development, and the minister will send a written notice to the union and the employer to explain what a no board report is, which would mean that once the no board report was received back from the Ministry of Labor, a 17-day countdown would begin where OSBCU would be in a position for legal strike action or they could also be legally locked out. These 17 days are also sometimes called a cooling period, but the parties can also still meet and bargain during them as well. Yeah, that's great because we often hear terms like no board report thrown around and people, you know, sometimes it's a little, there's a lot of technical terms that we'll try to explain throughout this. Um, yeah, and and also I realized that we're using uh, the acronym OSBCU and for folks that might not be familiar with that acronym, it's for it means Ontario School Board Council of Unions. So on October 14th, OSBCU still had not received the no board report from the Ministry of Labor, which is also normal. I think there was a holiday in there. Was there Thanksgiving? So Thanksgiving, yeah. 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 So and it was like a Friday when they asked for it. So there's a weekend because it's business mm-hmm. days, not uh, anyway. So that's normal, too. Uh, but they did announce they would enter into mediation with the government starting on October 17th. October 17th, OSBCU received the no board report and the 17-day waiting period began. So for those following along with dates, that would mean OSBCU would be in a legal strike position by November 3rd. Yes. And so then, two days later, by October 19th, the mediator that was assigned to the OSBCU and the government said that both parties were still too far apart. So on October 30th, OSBCU gave the five days notice. So this is different. Normally, it's things are done in business days, but this notice is five regular calendar days. So on October 30th, OSBCU gave the five days notice that they were required um, 
under the School Board Collective Bargaining Act in order to go on strike, meaning that if an agreement was not made, that they would have a full withdrawal of services on November the 4th. Keeping in mind, however, that OSBCU and the government still had dates to meet between November 1st and the 4th, and they would try to come to they could try to come to some sort of agreement. Uh, however, mediation concluded on November 3rd with no agreement. Yeah, and it's good, Brittany, that you clarify the different types of yeah. days notice that is good. And then also people might realize, well, my local doesn't have to give notice, you know, to go on strike if we're already in, mm-hmm. you know, if we've already given, gotten a no board report. And it's just different for um, under different acts, like the School Board Collective Bargaining Act and that kind of thing. So um, good to note. And also, this is where we get into some <laughs> unprecedented uh, territory during the same week. The government decided decided to take a sledgehammer to our rights as workers. On October 31st, of all days, they introduced Bill 28, what they called the Keeping Students in Class Act. Um, Whenever I read it, I always read Class Act, and I'm like, oh, that's like, I don't know. So Keeping (laughs) Students in Class Act. uh, And they rushed this bill through Queens Park, even calling special sessions at 5 a.m., Uh, And it received royal assent on Thursday, November 3rd. And some of these sessions uh, we saw on social media or online or on, you know, CP24, uh, we saw NDP MPPs getting kicked out for the day because they stood in solidarity and spoke against the premier and Stephen Lecce. And we have a quote here from OSBCU President Laura Walton. Uh, The quote starts, Bill 28 imposed a four-year concessionary contract that would have pushed more of us into poverty while stripping us of our charter rights, human rights, and any legal avenue to fight back, end quote. That is a great quote. And yeah, and I I don't know what you folks did. So I I also like, I work. So I was working when this was happening. And I'm like, mm-hmm. try, we have CP24 on in the background on the TV at the, so I work in a group home for folks who may not know. So we always have uh, CP24 on in like the background. So we kind of know what's going on. If we are folding laundry, we will watch TV. And so the day that they, the NDP MPP started getting kicked out, I was like, what is happening? So I worked a 12 hour shift. I came home. I made myself a beverage and I watched the entire question period on that day. I mm-hmm. sat and watched the whole thing just because I was like, who got kicked out when? Who said what to who? Like, I want to know like all the details. And it was very easy to find. So you can always just like Google Queen's Park question period if you ever are interested in seeing what happened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But like, it was wild. I don't, it was, it was wild. But anyways, we'll go back to Bill 28. So mm-hmm. Bill 28. What it did is it actually enforced a collective agreement onto OSBCU, not a collective agreement that was bargained for and not one that they agreed to. They would be given no choice in the matter. And for anyone who knows anything about bargaining and collective agreements, you always bring the collective agreement to the membership to vote on. So this was Bill 28 was taking that option away and saying, we don't care that -hmm. you guys normally get to vote on this. You're going to take it whether you like it or not. Mm -hmm. So the government also used the notwithstanding clause so that Bill 28 could not be constitutionally challenged. And it made sure that if OSBCU members were to go on strike, that strike would be considered illegal. Mm -hmm. 
and the members would be fined $4,000 a day and QP would be fined up to a maximum of $500,000 a day. Wow. And all of this is just so unprecedented. For folks not familiar with the notwithstanding clause, the notwithstanding clause or Section 33 of the Charter of Rights and Freedoms gives provincial legislatures or parliament the ability through the passage of a law to override certain portions of the charter for a five-year term. The clause can't be used for more than five years at a time. This ensures that the public has the chance to challenge a government's decision to use the clause in a general election before it can be renewed. Ontario Premier Doug Ford invoked the notwithstanding clause in June 2021 for the first time in the province's history, and this was done to restore parts of the Election Finances Act that had previously been declared unconstitutional, enforcing a rule that third parties could only spend $600,000 on advertising in 12 months before an election is called. The government argued the move was necessary to protect elections from outside influence, while critics accused the government of trying to silence criticism. Ford had previously threatened to use the clause in 2018, where his government intended to slash Toronto City Council seats during a municipal election. As folks may remember, that attempt actually sparked outrage, but the clause ultimately wasn't invoked because of how a related court process unfolded. Quebec has also used the clause in its religious symbols law. Bill 21 was adopted in June 2019 and prohibits public sector workers who are deemed to be in positions of authority, which includes teachers, police officers, and judges, from wearing religious symbols such as hijabs and turbans on the job. Hopefully that explains Mm. the notwithstanding clause a bit more for people. Um, But back to Bill 28... Um, This whole situation is just so awful and so disgusting, especially considering the government had ample opportunity to bargain fairly. In fact, something that I had heard OSBCU President Laura Walton say during that week was that the government wasn't doing this, Bill 28, and using the notwithstanding clause because they thought the school board workers were weak. They were doing it because they saw them as very, very strong. Yes, I heard that too. And I just thought that that was so inspiring. And also thank you for all that information about about the uh, notwithstanding clause. I think it's important that uh, that we all remember all of those sorts of things and how that's happened. And we just mm-hmm. kind of keep that in mind for upcoming elections. I know it's mm-hmm. in the news, but just remember, <laughs> for sure. we don't forget friends. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways, uh, Bill 28 was really not just a threat to OSBCU members, though. It was actually a threat to all of us as workers, because if the government was going to override our rights and the charter for them, then they could very easily do it to any of us for any reason. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It is it's very, very scary. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons why things took, you know, the direction that they did. Because OSBCU, you know, 55,000 members strong, decided that they were not going to be threatened by the government. And on November 4th and 7th, they still went out on a political protest. So, yes, Yay. very important in, in this timeline. And, and 55,000 mm-hmm. members across Ontario went to MPP offices and Services Ontario locations and stood up not just for their rights, but for rights of all workers. You know, and that must have been scary because you're hearing about mm-hmm. fines, you're hearing about, you know, possible, you know, yep. being able to be arrested or something. But yeah. um, 
an insider with the government later reported or leaked. There's been a lot of media leaks throughout this too. So we're getting information online on Twitter um, a lot. So hopefully Twitter continues to survive because that's how we're getting a lot of this information. So an insider with the government Mm -hmm. later reported that they did not expect uh, the conservative government did not expect workers to do something which they had deemed illegal and they did not expect QP National to support them in that. They expected QP National to say, oh, it's illegal. Let's let's not do this. So um, they did not expect to have the support of Canada's largest union and almost every other union. So it left them yes. scrambling. And a quote from this time that I really liked uh, was from QP National Secretary Treasurer Candace Rennick. And the quote begins, now is a moment for us to ask ourselves what kind of union we want to be in the face of the worst piece of legislation we've ever seen leveled at the labor movement. Our members have spoken. They are prepared to fight. They aren't part of the largest union in the country for nothing. We are going to have their backs and we'll stand with them for as long as it takes, end quote. I just got really emotional when you read that. I'm like going, I feel like this whole, like this is actually very cathartic. Like I'm just like, wow. Cause like, I also want to like, it was a very emotional couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, it still is. Like it, things are still happening as we're recording, but like it was very powerful. That was such an emotional week. Anyways, I was off on the fourth and I decided to just like go to a few of the lines and you know, you could really just feel the energy on them. It was so catching and it was actually very overwhelming. Every single person knew exactly why they were there and why it was so important. My local executive and I, we supported the line. So for those of you who maybe are just listening or just learning, um, I uh, I live in the Niagara region, so I always enjoy a good time at Sam Oosterhoff's. Uh, <laughs> so my local exec and I supported the line at uh, his office. And we actually saw like so many other unions there supporting it. There were some folks from UFCW, uh, some folks from OSSTF, and the seafarers were there, which was pretty cool. Yeah, I never had seen them out before. So I was like, oh, hi. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Then after being there for a little while, I went over to the line at MPP, my MPP, uh, MPP office, uh, Jeff Birch in Welland. There must have been at least 300 members there all along, like every side of the street. They were always like cheering and chanting. Um, The teachers that were unfortunately had to work, uh, you know, that's a whole other story for now. But anyways, teachers would come by on like their lunch breaks. And so it was actually so loud from all the honking of support that they had that like I tried to do some chants on a megaphone and I had to go like corner to corner to corner and like get people to like help me because it like start them because it was Mm -hmm. so loud. (laughs) It was awesome. And then Jeff Birch went to each and every single person on the line, chatted with them, offered his support. And uh, yeah, it was it was amazing. And then after being there for a little while, I drove to Toronto and I went to Queen Park, wow. Queen's Park. <laughs> it had a busy, busy day. Um, yeah. So I went to Queen's Park. And at that same time, um, the uh, Ona was there and they had had a rally to support. So I was able to join in that rally um, with Ona and some OFL folks. And so it was a lot of fun. And like even the weather was in everyone's favor. Like it was such a gorgeous fall day. Oh, that's awesome. And I heard that Queen's Park, like alone, just in that area, had 10,000 members. And apparently you could even hear them chanting like very clearly inside. Nice. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, 
4400 QP4400 is a huge um, QP local. So I'm sure a lot mm-hmm. of their members went to Queens Park, which is great. Um, although their members live all over uh, uh, the Toronto area, greater Toronto area. And, you know, we have a digital flying squad. So in, in Durham region, there's a um, digital flying squad, which we have a chat group uh, that happens to give up-to-date information. And it was a nonstop conversation leading up to these pro- these protests with organizing the various locations and making sure people had access uh, to the protest line finder. Um, and also keeping nationals all committees meeting. So there's this thing called all committees where all, that's exactly what it sounds like, all the committees of keeping national come together. Uh, and it was happening leading up to the day where people would be out. And so we were getting up-to-date information there and sharing it. So we had a meeting with all the Ontario reps, making sure everyone knew where they were going on, on Friday, if they didn't get stuck in Vancouver. And because uh, yeah. <laughs> there was terrible weather there. Right. Uh, and well, it was like lots of fog, I think. But anyway, it was, mm-hmm. it's been, it's been nonstop. And every time I would check my phone, there would probably be like 25, at least 25 updates on various platforms to mm-hmm. um, make sure that people were getting to where they needed to be and um, had the right information. For sure. I do some work alongside the uh, University of Waterloo teaching assistants, research assistants, and sessional instructors who are currently trying to organize into QP right now. Um, oh. So we were sharing, yeah, we were trying to share a lot of information to folks because we were posting online on social media and we were getting a lot of messages from people who were in the Kitchener Waterloo area who are looking to find out where they can also go for the picket line. So the QP mm-hmm. picket line finder was super, super helpful. Um, But back to the story. So uh, then over the weekend, we saw things amp up even more. So while the OSBC workers took the weekend off, many people spent their time watching the Ontario Labor Relations Board hearing. The government wanted... Yeah, the uh, government wanted the OLRB to declare that the political protests that the OSBC members were engaging in were illegal. Yeah, and social media was on fire during this whole weekend. Uh, Absolutely, and, yeah. yeah. Oh, it was amazing. Was they were glued to it. And during this hearing, uh, the so there's a lawyer named Stephen Barrett who became a huge sensation. <laughs> I think there was like a fan club started if the fan club yeah. didn't already exist. People on Twitter loved him. I've never seen an OLRB hearing live tweeted before, but people were into <laughs> it. And if Twitter isn't dead yet by the time this hits the waves, you can check out David J. Dury's tweets. Um, he's at, at the Law of Work because he really gave all the information about the hearing and like a deep dive, but also was kind of funny mm-hmm. at the same time. So check that out. Um, and the hashtag general strike was top trending. Yeah. Uh, it was, mm-hmm. you know. Whoever thought that would happen and, and anytime, you know, so quickly. And we also saw so much support all over TikTok. Uh, creators at Frank Dominic and at Steve Boots uh, had some super popular videos on the app. Uh, we also saw support on breakfast television and the social uh, where hosts use their platform to speak up for OSBCU and education workers. Honestly, like I've never seen media support like it for uh, workers that were facing um, mm-hmm. interaction and the public support, too. Yeah, because, uh, yes, there was union solidarity, but the members of the public and parents and even people mm-hmm. like you know mechanics changed their signage to say they support yeah. education workers. It was 
it's huge support across not just the province across Canada you saw oh yeah huge for sure. Um, the OFL, also the Ontario Federation of Labor, also known as the OFL, they also started Solidarity Saturdays, meaning that workers would rally in front of conservative MPP offices. But I know many people were also sending in letters and making calls all week, continuing to put pressure on the government to repeal Bill 28 and to get back to the table and bargain fairly with the OSBCU. I think I saw it reported that over 75,000 people mm-hmm. used QP Ontario's tool to send a letter to Doug Ford through don'tbeabully.ca. We saw 126 political protests on Friday and Monday, with 10,000 people attending the demonstration on Queen's Park on Friday alone. Allies also organized their own actions and phone banks and letter-writing campaigns themselves. And don't forget the kids were also showing up to protest and support their EAs, hugging them, parents sharing videos of their kids supporting the school board workers. It was all really incredible to see. Mm-hmm. This is just another form of education for our children and building the foundation of fairness and democracy in our workplaces and province. That is so true. And for this weekend um, that we are talking about, uh, I was actually at QP Ontario's fall school in Toronto. And that happened to be the same weekend and the first Solidarity Saturday. And so we actually ended up shutting down the intersection at Nathan Phillips Square. And then we marched down to the Sheridan. And I honestly could not have thought of a better way to have my lunch break. But mm-hmm. what I thought was also so inspiring was that at the fall school in the morning of the Saturday, we hold like a plenary and everyone who is attending comes to the plenary. And I... Um, I'm the chair of the education committee for QP Ontario. So I I had the opportunity to speak to everyone. I just asked like, you know, who all is here for their first time? Like who has, who has never been to a QP Ontario event before? And more than 50% of those members put their hands up. Wow. And so to have all of those members come down to the Solidarity Saturday and experience the power that we as worker have, we as workers have, I just thought like, wow, like what a good way to get more involved in the labor movement and see what your union actually can do. So not only are you getting some wonderful education, like some great education this week and this weekend, but you're also having this experience and it's just like showing you, you know, we can go and be as educated as possible and and support our members as much as we can. But this is also another way that we can support our members. So it was just, it was so mm-hmm. fantastic to see that and to have everyone experience that for the first time. Definitely. And um, the wave of support and solidarity just grew and grew over the weekend. We saw reports and social media posts of labor leaders from all over Canada coming to Toronto to support. And I think it came to a head when on Sunday, November 6th, QB National and the Ontario Federation of Labor announced they would hold a press conference on the next day, Monday, November 7th at 10 a.m. The announcement stated that it was gro- about the growing fight back against Ford's Bill 28. Mm-hmm. And leading up to this, there were talks of escalation in the media from labor leaders like Laura Walton, Fred Hahn, and JP Hornick, and more. And we saw mm-hmm. some leaks <laughs> through sources like Rank and File uh, and other media outlets uh, that the announcement was going to be about escalating actions leading to a general strike. And this is covered in great detail, actually, in an article in Spring Magazine titled, 
who killed Bill 28 uh, and their Peter Hogarth reports. And I'm just going to quote this because it's, it's um, written in a way that kind of breaks it down because things were changing minute by minute at this point. Oh yeah. So, second by second, actually. Second by second, yeah. So, <laughs> quote, so the quote is on Sunday, OFL affiliates, including the teachers unions began calling emergency meetings to discuss or vote on joining the strike. Hundreds of CUPE staff representatives joined a conference call to prepare locals in every sector of the union, not just school boards, to discuss the possibility of walkouts on Monday. The leadership assured members that the union would protect them from any fines. Commitments to strike immediately came from large locals in the post-secondary and municipal sectors. By noon, Unifor made public a letter it sent to Ford's office hinting at wildcat strikes by its members in the auto sector to protest Bill 28. This notice said, we issue this notice that Unifor's auto and independent parts supplier councils in coordination with affiliate local unions will be exploring all options in the coming days to respond to these actions. We stand in solidarity with QP members. Beyond when I heard that, yeah. oh, sorry. No, go when ahead. I heard that. I got so excited because I was like, Matthew, Matthew, we're going to be on a strike line together. Yeah. We might be on a strike line together because he's with Unifor yes. and I'm with QP. And I was like, yeah. this is so exciting. And he was like, oh, yeah, we're all ready. Like, we're going. Yeah. It was so exciting. Yeah. This is like unheard of in our lifetimes anyway. It's it's happened yeah. in the past, but not, not in our, and not in our, our, our lifetime. So Beyond Ontario's unions, the wider public was preparing to join the lines on Monday, including non-union workers who were planning their own workplace walkouts. The Canadian Federation of Students Ontario was issuing calls to its locals to join the lines. Support was also building outside the province. At its representatives' assembly, the British Columbia Teachers Federation voted to donate $1 million to the education workers' strike. Things were moving incredibly fast, and with major developments coming every hour is what this is reported. That was all from the Spring Magazine article, which I suggest folks read. We'll put a link to mm-hmm. it in our notes because it goes um, into, it would be a good thing to read along with this podcast because they also do like a step-by-step of Bill 28. And then, so then we're now at Monday morning, 9 a.m., just an hour before, you know, QB was to make their announcement, Doug Ford blinked. He held a press conference at Queen's Park where thousands more members were protesting outside (laughs) of it. And he announced in a very confusing way. uh, So confusing. Yeah. But but nonetheless, (laughs) it was an announcement that he would repeal Bill 28 and go back to the bargaining table with OSBCU. Yay! Yes. Yes. And I remember watching and being like, did he just say, like, what's going on? And then everyone got on social media, like, parsing his language. Uh, but then, so, and then, um, QP National, OSBCU, and the OFL uh, held their press conference. It was a little delayed because I think, you know, there was, there was so many things changing again, second mm-hmm. by second. For sure. But, like, wow, was it ever powerful. We saw almost, maybe it was over 30 labor leaders from across public and private sector unions from across Canada and Ontario pack that stage, just, like, walking oh. in. It was, mm-hmm. I watched yeah. it live on, I wasn't there in person, but I watched it on, um, mm-hmm. on online. And it was there that it was announced that this was a huge victory for the labor movement and that the OSBCU members would go back to work on Tuesday and back to the table to bargain. 
Uh, what I found particularly powerful was that almost every single leader was a woman or gender mm-hmm. oppressed. And there was a sense of action and community in our movement that we haven't seen in a long time with all mm-hmm. kinds of representation that we also haven't seen in a long time or maybe yeah. ever. So very powerful statements and just this feeling of warmth and community and solidarity, like actual solidarity. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, just as an aside, while we were watching the press conference, um, my uh, 14-month-old, well, she's almost 15 months now, Zoe, <laughs> recognized so many people that she was clapping and waving and saying, hi, Aww. hi. Oh, that's, so that's so cute. She recognized them. And every time there was clapping, like Laura would say something and Zoe would start clapping along. So Aww. it was, yeah, it was awesome. I yeah. love that. Yeah. <laughs> And little did Ford know that by introducing Bill 28 and utilizing the notwithstanding clause, he would actually unite the labor movement more than ever before. This is a moment that will definitely go down to history, and we were all a part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a feeling that like future generations, and even Zoe might be like, you know, when whenever she goes into school, they'll maybe be looking at this in history, and we can give like these future generations and Zoe and like. We can tell them, yeah, we were there. This is what happened. Yeah, <laughs> maybe this the podcast text was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. And maybe this podcast will still be around, and people can use that too. <laughs> yeah, just listen to your reports, kids. <laughs> yeah, here you go. We did it for you. <laughs> just thinking of the future. <laughs> so through the week of November seventh to November eleventh, the OSBCU continued to meet and bargain, and solidarity actions continued. On Saturday the 12th, we saw our second OFL Solidarity Saturday, and rallies were held at all conservative MPP offices across the province. Yeah, and this reflects um, what OPSU President J.P. Hornick said at the press conference Monday, we are not standing down, we are standing by. Um, And that was just one of the powerful statements that was given at this press conference, and the community Mm -hmm. is still supporting Um, We're now at a point where uh, QP's OSBCU has given a strike deadline, you know, that back to the five day notice. um, And that's putting us at Monday, November 21st, uh, which at this recording, we're not there yet. We're on the eve of that. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. um, but this is in response to the provincial government's refusal to fund vital services for students. Um, So like I said, we're currently recording before the state. But our community knows that the stakes um, are especially high in the sector as other education unions are currently facing down the same unyielding employer at the bargaining table. And Mm. we're in the wake of Bill 28's historic defeat. Our movement is prepared to help education workers get a good deal. Yes, and these workers will have to get a good deal at this point. Mm -hmm. And I know we mentioned some of the solidarity actions before, but we thought we would just kind of go through and review some of them just so that folks know different ways that you can plug in and support. So there continues to be an incredible show of solidarity by labor unions, labor councils, and community organizations across the country towards education workers. So there have been Solidarity Saturday actions that are continuing to be organized by the OFL and the Canadian Labor Congress. Ontario, taking place across the province, and Justice for Workers continues to provide Paint the Province Purple Solidarity resources, and we'll be sure to link all of that in our show notes for folks. And as we've mentioned before, we've really never seen this kind of widespread support for these workers. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Unifor and Unifor's Ontario Regional Council together donated uh, $100,000 to support striking CUPE workers as they fought back against Bill 28, and the BC Teachers Federation donated a whopping total of a million dollars. And in a tweet they wrote, which... Yeah, I really hope Twitter doesn't disappear. But in a tweet they wrote to QP members in Ontario, your fight is our fight. Unions across Canada supported us in our battle to protect our charter rights. And now we are here for you. Our rep assembly just voted to send you a million dollars so you don't have to back down. That's just so incredible. Um, And, you know, we also have to mention the amazing efforts of the grassroots group Ontario Education Workers United. They set up a GoFundMe to raise grocery funds for OSBCU education workers on strike. Um, And as of today, I just actually checked it right now. They have received uh, about 1.9 thousand people submitted donations for a grand total of, do we want to do a drum roll here? (laughs) Yeah, we'll see if it works. (laughs) Grand total. Oh, yeah, that sounds like a drum roll. I don't know if you can hear it. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, I can. Good job. Grand total of... $151,988. $151,988. Wow. That's so amazing. Can we link that in our show notes? Can we remember to link that in our show notes in case people want to donate? Yeah, that's a great idea. If you don't Definitely. mind, since you're already on the page. Okay, cool. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah, it's yes. um, and- so amazing. Yeah, it's. I was just looking at the amount because I was trying to do quick mental math in my head. I'm like, maybe one of us could quickly donate $12 to get it to $152,000. <laughs> Sorry, it takes me a second to do mental math sometimes. But yeah, it's an amazing show of people power from a grassroots group, which is very inspiring. Uh, and like I said, the Ontario education workers are still collecting donations. We'll be sure to leave a link to the fundraiser in our show notes. Absolutely. And another incredible show of solidarity actions, um, well, the Solidarity Saturdays that we mentioned earlier, organized by the OFL, regional labor councils, and grassroots community members. Um, But they also continue to organize regional rallies in public spaces and conservative MPP offices, demanding a fair deal for QP workers. And while donations are really great, boots on the ground are extremely important, and they're also vital in winning a fair deal for workers as well. Yes. And there are so many community members involved in organizing Solidarity Sunday phones apps, just as another way to send a message to Ford, government and Leachy in the education workers saying that they need a fair deal now. And I want to give a shout out to Justice for Workers because they have also been doing a lot of work Mm -hmm. um, with these Mm -hmm. phones apps and speaking up and doing uh, Paint the Province Purple actions. Those were a lot of fun. I learned how to make wheat paste for that. So that was a good time. (laughs) (laughs) So I just wanted to give a shout out there. I was just going to say, every activist needs to know how to make wheat paste in some point, so good job. I found how to make it. Like, I just Googled it. The article was in the New York Times. <laughs> Anyways, that yeah. is an aside. But yeah, so there's the, the Solidarity Sunday phones apps. Those are just another way to send a message. So if you're someone who isn't able to get out to Solidarity Saturdays because you work or, you know, it's not you're not physically able because of accessibility, then the phones apps are another way that you can also help. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the Ontario Federation of Labor also organized a Pack the Galleries event at Queen's Park Action, where labor leaders and community activists have attended various legislative debates, and sometimes you can see them react online as well when things are happening. I think when at the passage of Bill 28, I recognized a lot of my friends uh, possibly yeah. kicked out of the legislature there, too. <laughs> 
Um, yeah. And, you know, we can't forget the heart of all of this, the 55,000 OSBCU members fighting for more. Um, and so we, when Bill 28 was repealed, uh, OSBCU released a statement that directly quotes President uh, Laura Walton that states, Ontario's education workers have their rights back. With the shadow of Bill 28 lifted, education workers can now focus on achieving a fairly negotiated collective agreement that meets the needs of students, families, and workers. School boards need the government to make a meaningful investment too. School boards can't hire or retain education workers. There is a crisis in our schools because no one wants to work for poverty level wages, be laid off for months every year, and be continuously disrespected and undervalued by the government. With high inflation forcing more education workers to use food banks or choose between their rent or their car payment, we need a significant wage increase just to get by. We are not giving up on our fight for student success and good jobs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And actually, I was thinking about this and I was talking to a friend of mine and we were just talking about how a few of our friends actually went into being EAs and they actually left um, their jobs about like three years ago because of how low the poverty wages are that people are experiencing. People really can't survive on those wages. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And in September and October of 2021, prior to the steep rise in inflation this year, education workers responded to a QB survey about what a decade of government-imposed wage suppression has meant for them. Here are some personal experiences that frontline education workers shared, and I'll make sure that I quote them directly. So one said, QB education workers work hard and are significantly underpaid. A person working full-time should be able to independently support their family. It is demoralizing having to rely on others or have to get a second job. I am a single mother and want my children to know if you work hard, you will do okay in life. This was an education assistant who said that. Uh, Another quote is from a library worker. I'm not able to replace my 10-year-old vehicle that has 400,000 kilometers. Mm. Next is a professional paraprofessional. We work hard and don't get the credit we deserve. We are running around trying to help multiple students in multiple classrooms with many different needs. We pay out of pocket for resources and work on building educational resources on our own time. And lastly, I'll quote a tradesperson. I'm a tradesperson making $15 to $20 an hour less than a tradesperson in the private sector. We, RDSP, are currently looking for tradespeople to work for the board, and they aren't even getting applicants because the wages are way too low. We need to complete compete with the higher wages from the private sector so we can have a full-service maintenance department. Mm-hmm. 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 Thanks for those quotes, Elise. Those, yeah, yeah, those are powerful. Definitely. And, you know, Doug Ford now knows he's picked a fight that was unwinnable for him, and the Bill 28 fiasco will be forever remembered as a huge failure on his government and a huge victory for the labor movement. But this also is a love letter and testament to the work that these workers who at least just read their stories have done within their communities, building the support over, you know, preparing for this bargaining. It truly is a labor of love and support. Mm Mm-hmm. And just like that, (laughs) as we record this, both sides are back in bargaining within the boundaries of the charter and a legal strike notice deadline looming. And we are ready once again. We will have the backs of not only just 55,000 CUPE education workers, but the labor movement as a whole. 
We also want to mention that there are many other QB locals right now and unions across North America that are um, that are looking to be on the eaves of strikes or strike deadlines. Uh, mm-hmm. We're definitely seeing strike vember happening. That's another thing that we found on Twitter, <laughs> strike vember. I know it's great. So just if anyone is looking for tips and how to support these striking workers, we really encourage you to check out our last episode, episode 18, Timbits or Samosa's Best Picket Line Food and More, because that's where we really talk about how to support the lines, how to support the members, what we can do as allies and and uh, other labor uh, labor folks. So just a tip so you guys can check that out. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in to this episode of the QP Cast. This podcast is researched and produced by us, Brittany, Tiffany, and Elise. We want to take a moment to thank all the QP Ontario staff involved with this episode. Without them, this podcast wouldn't exist. If you have future podcast ideas or feedback, please send them to info at qp.on.ca. We also want to thank our fantastic editor, Mohammed Akbar, for being the edit master. This podcast would not sound as great as it does without his talents. And also a reminder, the QP Ontario Women's Conference is this week. We hope those of you attending have an amazing time. And just uh, for your calendars, save the date for QP National Women's Conference in Vancouver. That will be held from March 12th to March 15th in 2023. Yes, that's very exciting. I don't think that's ever happened before, or if it has, it's once again before our lifetimes, maybe. But the QP National Women's Conference will bring together members from across the country to advocate for women's rights and gender equality in the union, in the workplace, and in all areas of society. It will be a great opportunity to learn and strategize with QP leaders and activists. And lastly, we want to thank you, our listeners. Without your support, we would not be able to make and create this monthly podcast. Thanks for listening. Sending solidarity.